How are you guys doing today? It's me again. Feels like the Travis show. When anytime I host and then do do uh, my message, it feels like the Travis show. But that's okay because you are all right with that, aren't you? No. All right, there we go. Hey, it's so so good to see you guys. I love Sundays. I like. I like. Uh, of course, I'm going to say that because I'm a pastor. But it's I don't see you guys all week, and I really like you guys. And I've, I've talked to some pastors; they don't like their people. That's a, that's a real bummer. We don't like your people. I, got, I actually like my church. I love it. That's uncomfortable when you say that. Okay. Anyway, now, hey, uh, I want to talk to you quickly about uh, next week. Next week is Give Sunday, and I'll talk about that here in just a little bit. We're going to show a video about some of the things that we have going on. But before I get to that, I want to talk to you about baptism. Next Sunday at 11 o'clock, we're having our baptism celebration. Now, we only do baptism Sunday about every quarter. The idea is, you know, people sign up for it and sign up for it, and then we baptize people. But if you haven't been baptized, I want to explain something. It's not just something we do at church because we're trying to get members. This is something that we are, are passionate about at Faith Code Church. We're, we're here to, to, to lead people to love God, connect with others, and reach the world. And part of the process of your journey and your walk with God is to be baptized. I've had people ask me before, Travis, do I have to be baptized? Well, I know that there are people that, you know, baptized does not make you saved. It just confesses to everybody that you have given your life to Christ. It's kind of like, why do you wear a wedding ring? If you're married, you, you wear that. Guys, the reason that your wife wears her wedding ring on her left hand is because all the guys that are interested in your smoking hot wife know that she's taken, Right? So all the, you know, and for ladies, your, the reason that your guy wears the ring on his left hand is to tell all the single ladies that you put a ring on it, right? So there's, there's a reason. This is, this is, there's a reason for baptism. It, is, it does not make you saved. It just tells everybody that you gave your life to Christ. And you've heard me say this before. I'll say it next week. We don't have people walk the aisles to give their life to Christ. That, is a, that was a huge barrier to have somebody, if you're going to give your life to Christ, stand up in front of everybody while everybody's watching and walk the aisles. That we found out years ago that was a barrier. Most churches don't do that. But the day you go public with that relationship is when we get you. We don't bring you up in front of people. We take you down into the water. That's when you bring your friends, and that's when you bring your family. This is important. Jesus didn't just tell us to do it. He was baptized himself. And if, the son, if it's good enough for the Son of God, it's good enough for me. Amen? So if you haven't been baptized, use that Connect card, that communication card, sign up, baptism, put it in the offer when it goes by, talk to us at Faith Co. Info or go online and sign up for baptism. It's, it's something that is a part of your journey. Amen? Okay, I'm continuing the series today. Devil, know your enemy. What we're doing is we're taking a look at different names that the Bible or the Scripture gives the devil, and we see that the different names that he has in Scripture reveal his his nature and his strategy to destroy our lives. In First Peter five and seven, it says, "Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion." Last week we read this Scripture and talked about the roaring lion phrase dealt with the fact that he tries to destroy us with fear but then it goes on to say seeking someone to devour 
I want you to know that your enemy, the devil, is on a mission and he's on a, he has a quest to destroy lives, your life in particular, he wants to destroy. But he can't do it without your help. He needs your help. Now, you'd never think, well, I'm going to help the devil do this, but I've talked to people before that got delved in sin or, or just got kind of wrapped up in something. What happened? Well, I really didn't, I don't know how it happened. It just kind of happened. I've talked to people before they were going to prison. This is not you. How in the world did this happen? I don't know. It just kind of happened. You know, it's kind of like eating at Denny's. Nobody plans on that. It just kind of happens, you know. It kind of dawns on you when, you when you're looking at the waitress really serious and saying, uh, you know what, I'm going to have the moons over Miami. How did this happen? The enemy wants to destroy your life. Have you ever been in a place in your life that you thought, how did I get here? This is not even me. I want to tell you, it happens through a process, and we're talking today about how the devil works through that process through temptation. We're talking about the devil, the tempter. Let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us here today, and thank you for your presence and your spirit that we already feel here today. I pray, Lord, that you will bless us in your house and minister to people, and may we grow and be strengthened away from the temptations and the schemes of the devil. Make yourself very real to people today in Christ's name. And everybody said, look at your neighbor and say, stay strong. In 1 Thessalonians, the third chapter in the fifth verse, this is one of the few times that the Bible mentions the devil as the tempter. The Apostle Paul is writing this church to this church and uh, to the Thessalonian church, and he says this, I sent Timothy to find out whether your faith was still strong. I was afraid that the tempter had gotten the best of you and that our work had been useless. In other words, I, you know, I left you here, and I went to another church, and I started another church, and I, I sold into you, and I did some work. But I'm afraid that the tempter has drawn you through enticement, that, that he's trying to draw you away, and he has gotten the best of you with his schemes. The word tempt from the Greek simply means to try or to test, which there's nothing wrong with being tried or tested, but when we are tried and tested, the enemy takes advantage of that, and he tries to entice us away from God, away from God's calling for our lives, away from the destiny that God has for our lives. He tries to pull us away from that and entice us with sin. And the idea is that as we're drawn away, we get wrapped up in sin, and we forget who we were. We forget everything that God has done in our lives. We forget the destiny that God has for us. He does this through temptation. In Matthew 4 and 1, which illustrates the temptation of Christ, we see the temptation or the devil's temptation scheme in living color. It says that Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Now, what I want to do is I want to take a look at this passage, and I'm going to look at another passage. But I'm only going to cover half of this message. But as I take a closer look at this scripture and this story about Jesus, how the enemy tried to destroy the very Son of God, we see 
a little bit of insight into his schemes and how he tempts us. And as we see how he tempted Jesus and tried to destroy him and the work of God in his life, hopefully we will see how he's trying to destroy you and how he's trying to destroy me. So number one, the devil is going to tempt you. And I've only got one point. Usually I have about three to four points. I've just got one point. Actually, the next point I'm going to cover next week, so you will definitely want to be here for that one. But one point. The devil, number one, is going to tempt you when, everybody say when, when you are most vulnerable. There is a timing factor to him tempting you. In Matthew 4 and 1, it says, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Listen, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. You think? And the tempter came. The tempter came to him. Have you, have you ever fasted for, for any amount of time? The longest I've ever fasted was 14 days. I drank water for 14 days. Let me tell you something. The 14th day, I was looking at the toothpaste, wanting I was like, if I could just get some toothpaste in my mouth. You know what I'm saying? After 40 days, notice, notice that after 40 days that Jesus fasted and prayed, the devil did not come to him on day one. The devil came to him towards the end, maybe even the 40th day, when he was hungry, when he was tired, and when he felt most alone. There was a timing factor to every temptation in your life. There, there are some times in your life when you are tempted that it really is not an issue. It's not really a temptation. But there are other times in your life that when a temptation hits you, it's like it's all you can do to withhold that temptation. That's when the enemy wants to come after you. That's when he's going to tempt you. Now, you might have heard this before. There's an acronym for helping people with substance abuse. It's called HALT, H-A-L-T. The acronym is like this. If you're ever too hungry too angry, too lonely, or too tired, you are susceptible, or you are very vulnerable, and you're susceptible to relapse. In the same way, the enemy wants to catch you down, tired, angry, lonely, hungry. He wants to catch you in a susceptible place, in a very vulnerable place. He's, he wants to attack you. Now listen, he's not going to attack you when you're on the mountain. When you're just knocking it out of the park, when God's blessing you, when you're walking in victory, everything's just wonderful. He's not going to attack you there. He's going to notice you there, and he's going to put a target on your back, and he's going to say, okay, they're doing great. They're affecting people. You know, God's blessing them. We're going after them, but we're not going to do it right now. We're going to wait until they're angry. We're going to wait till they're, till they're lonely. We're going to, te- we're going to wait till they feel defeated and mistreated. We're going to wait till they're sad and they feel lonely and confused, until they're feeling discarded and abandoned. We're going to wait till they're just tired of it. We're going to wait till they're, they're hungry for more. Anything is better than where I am. You see, it's an all-around approach. Ephesians says that he has schemes. He doesn't randomly do things. He's been doing this for millenniums. He's got a, st- a scheme and a plan. And his scheme is to tempt you with sin, but not when you're up on top. But when you're physically, emotionally, and spiritually down. Everybody goes through valleys from time to time. I want you to hear this because we have to be wise to his schemes. He wants you to be physically, emotionally, and spiritually weak until you say to yourself, hey, anything is better than where I am. Anything is better than this. I am so tired of praying this same prayer. 
I'm so tired of going through the same thing. I'm so tired of talking to the same people about the same things. I'm getting nowhere in this life. I'm hungry for more. I'm so tired. I'm fed up with this. I'm tired. Have you ever felt that way? Maybe you feel like that today. I feel like I'm spinning my wheels and I've worked so hard for this and I'm going nowhere. Can I say this? You're exactly who the devil is going to go after. Can I just tell you that? I've seen it for years and years pastoring that people are on a map. People are just excited about living for God. The devil doesn't bother them. He waits until they get hurt. He waits until I offend, offend them from the front of the church in some way. You know what I'm saying? Come on, Travis, stay focused. He, he waits until they're down. He waits until they're lonely. He waits until, until they've been offended by something. He waits until, until they don't get along with their spouse. He waits until they have marriage problems. That's when he's going to go after you. That's his plan. When you're physically, emotionally, and spiritually tired. How does a, place and get, how does a person get to a place like that? Listen to this passage. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness... The Spirit is capitalized, which means it's the Spirit of God. He was led by God into the, spirit, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, God has a plan for trials and testing in your life, but it's not to get you to sin. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tried in order that he would endure things in his future. If he was going to endure the cross one of these days, he needed to be able to endure the temptation that the devil would throw at him right now because what was coming was way more than what he was dealing with 40 days in, in the wilderness. Are you with me? So what's going on is that God will allow you to be tested in your life, but it's not so you'll fall by the wayside. It's not so you'll, you'll fall into sin. It's so that you will be strengthened. So the first way that we, the first way that, that, that we find ourselves in a place where we feel down is God will allow us to be tested. God has a plan, though. Romans 8 and 28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things, everybody say all things, Everything, the good things, the bad things that happen to us work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. It says, for those whom he foreknew, he predestined. So God, even before the temptation, even before the trial, even for anything that you had to endure, God had a plan and a destiny for your life. So here's the deal. It, 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 it's not that we'll never experience bad things. It's just that God will allow some of the bad things to try us and to test us because he wants to bring some blessings and some good things into our lives. But just as God has a plan to bring good things out of bad things in your life, the devil has a plan that the bad things will go from bad to worse. And there's a, there's a cross point. There's a meeting point. There's a, there's a crux where it happens. So you're riding along and, 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 and you're, God's blessing you and you're just living your life and all of a sudden, the trial hits. And when the trial hits, you've got to make a decision. And I'm going to hang on. Am I going to see this through? Am I going to go the path of God? Am I going to just bless the man who endures the trial and the temptation? Am I going to be blessed? Because on the other side of that, the blessing and the good that's coming, it, it's coming. God's going to take me there. But just because the good is coming doesn't mean that it's not hurting right now. But you've got to hang on and you've got to see yourself through it. Because what's happening is at that point, 
The devil is going to bring temptation into your life because he wants it to go from bad to worse. And how it goes from bad to worse is not being down or not being tested. Sin is what takes it from bad to worse. When you're down, when you're lonely, when you're tired, when you're angry, when you're ready for something more, the devil comes in and he says, I got something better for you over here. And then sin steps into your life. And then sin leads to death. That's the devil's plan. Sometimes, so sometimes God will allow us to walk through these situations. But another thing that happens is that we put ourselves in those positions all by ourselves because of our bad decisions. A lot of times something happens in our life or we do something that causes some very bad things. From my experience, here's what I call it, stupid stuff. Sometimes we do stupid stuff. All right? Sometimes we do stupid stuff, okay? And we do that all by ourselves, and we're like, man, the devil is attacking me. And the devil's like, I ain't got nothing to do with that, but I mean, you, I mean, you're the conductor of that train wreck, but thank you. Thank you for helping me mess things up in your life. Sometimes we do it all by ourselves. James 1 and 12 says this, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive a crown of life. We see it in the first part of this passage that, that God blesses those who patiently endure testing. So we can see that, that being, being tested is a part of God's plan. He doesn't tempt us, but being tested because he wants to bring something out. And on the other side of that is a blessing that he wants to place in our lives. 13 says, and remember, when you are being tempted, don't say, God is tempting me. God does not tempt you to sin. It's not his desire. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else to do wrong. Don't get that twisted, James is saying. So how does temptation work? I'm glad you asked that. 14th verse. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Temptation comes from our desires. Everybody's got different desires, and everybody has different struggles. That's part of what I'm talking about next week. I'm going to talk about how how he uses specific things. But what we have to understand there is there is a process to getting into a place where we fall and delve into sin. Have you ever heard the phrase, one thing led to another? That's exactly how it works. People that get involved in drug abuse, they don't just wake up one day and and are addicted to drugs. There was a process to that. It began with maybe even curiosity that led to temptation. That temptation led to desire. That desire led to the act itself, and the act itself becomes sin, and sin leads to death. Listen to me. When you sin, it kills something in your life. How, how did, what happened? I mean, what, we had an affair. How did that happen? It didn't just happen. You didn't just wake up. It didn't just, you know, it, it, that's not the way it works. What works is a temptation led to a desire. A desire led to a sinful act. The sinful act, something dies. What happened? I stole something. I embezzled at work. It, how did it happen? I don't know. It just, I just kind of fell into something. No, that's not what happened. Listen to me. We, we got to stop telling ourselves that things just happen. It begins with a temptation. And it says we're drawn away with our desire. The desire is the, the curiosity factor. I wonder what would happen if, you know how many stupid things I've done before, thinking to myself, I wonder what would happen. 
When I was 11 years old, my mom bought me a BB gun, and I was out shooting um, cans. Was it cans or cats? Okay, anyway. Anyway, I was out shooting cans, and I thought to myself, I wonder what would happen if I took my index finger and put it over. I wonder if it would hurt if I shot my finger. You know what I'm saying? I can't tell you how bad that hurt. I danced all over the front yard screaming. You know, that just stupid stuff, but it, what happens, it, it comes with a desire or a temptation, then a desire, then a sinful act, and then when that happens, something dies. It doesn't just happen. Now, here's the deal. Even the strongest people put themselves or can put themselves in a place where they are vulnerable. Before you go judging people over there and you know what your friends did, and, these, and this couple did this, or my friend did this, or, you know, she did this, or he did this. Let me tell you something. It can happen to anyone. Anybody can put themselves in a place where they are vulnerable, where they will compromise. I have to constantly be on guard. I know I'm foolish. I would be foolish to think that I can never do anything stupid. I like to think that I'm above things, but at the first time you begin to think that is when you are most vulnerable. And I want to show you a passage. In the book of 2 Samuel in 11 and 1, this is the story of David and Bathsheba. I heard a guy sing a song one time. You guys know the story of David and Bathsheba? Well, let me put it to you in the words of the infamous Christian singer from the 90s, Carmen. O King David was smitten down to his socks when his eyes caught that Bathsheba fox. It's terrible, isn't it? <laughs> Those are the words to that song. Now, you may know the story, and I'm only going to tell the first part of it, but, but David fell for this young woman that when he was about 50 years old that caused him to, to uh, commit adultery and then to kill her husband. You can't even, I can't even imagine King David doing something like that. But a lot of people know the story and how, it, how, how things happen. But the second chapter of Samuel, the 11th chapter, I mean the second, second Samuel 11 chapter, not everybody knows how this all started. So let me read the backstory. There's, how many of you know there's always more to the story? There's always a backstory to the story. So let's look at this. The first verse says, in the spring of the year when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab. Joab was his right-hand commander. Instead of going, he sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight against the Amorites. They destroyed the Amorite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, she slept. he slept with her. Do I need to explain that they didn't take a nap? Didn't get much rest during this. Okay. Now look at the next part. It says, she had just completed the purification rites. Now, without going too far into this, because I don't want to talk about it, the outdoor bath on her roof within the king's view while her husband was gone for months was no coincidence. This bath meant something. You'd have to understand, or you'd have to look in or remember Old Testament law that this particular bath was after 
was, was for a woman after a certain time of the month. Do I need to explain that? Okay, so it was a purification thing. Okay, so here's, here's what I want you to understand. The bath was a sign of ceremonial purification, and it sent a message. It's not like she didn't know where David was, okay? So this was sending a message, this bath at this time of the month was sending a message to King David that I am available. So can you see that there was a little bit of temptation from her part on King David? towards King David. Can you see that, okay? Now, I can't go in there. I've never talked about Sheba. I can't tell you for sure, but from what I understand about how things work, there's a little, there's something going on. So there's a temptation right there. There's nothing wrong with being tempted. But what happens after that is David's fault. David put himself in an extremely vulnerable situation that caused him to sin and that the devil would use to destroy or try to destroy his kingdom for the rest of his life. How did David do this? How did he put himself in a place to be tempted? Number one, David wasn't where he was supposed to be. Remember the first part of that chapter, that in the spring, when kings went to war, David stayed home. David was not supposed to be at home. I don't know. He was about 50 years old when this happened. I don't know why he stayed home. Maybe he thought, man, I have finally arrived. I'm finally here. Um, Maybe, you know what? I always go to war. Maybe I should just kick back and enjoy my life a little bit. I have fought for for 30 years. I don't know, but I'm telling you, that's not where he needed to be. He needed to be in the fields, in the plains with his his men, bleeding with them, with those that were dying and, and fighting God's battles. He was a man of war, and he wasn't at war, so he wasn't where he was supposed to be. The second thing that he was doing is he wasn't doing what he was supposed to do. The first one is about placement. This is about action. He wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing. There are certain things that you need to do when faced with temptation. You need to bring to light some of the things that are happening. The Bible says to confess your faults one to another. If you need forgiveness, you ask for forgiveness from God. You confess to God. If you need to be healed, you confess to your brothers and sisters. You need to bring to light anything that's going on. Hey, guys. Hey, bring in his attendants and everybody. Bring in. Hey, guys, there is a woman over there. First of all, we need to get some curtains over this window so you guys uh, won't be tempted. Whatever it takes. Second thing, I want somebody to go over and talk to this woman and tell her to quit taking baths in broad daylight. Go talk to her and tell her to stop that stuff. There were certain things that he needed to do. Instead, he kept it secret, and he took the next step. And the third thing he didn't do is he wasn't who he was supposed to be. David was not acting like a king. I know how David acted in the field. I know what he, how he acted and the things that he did. He was, very, he was a, a huge man of valor. He would, he, would, he would die for his brothers in the field. This is not David. Because he wasn't where he needed to be, because he wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing, he wasn't who he was supposed to be. And he lost sight of who he was and his kingdom, and it caused him to do the unspeakable. And it led to temptation, lust, sin, and eventually death. And that's exactly how the enemy works in your life. He looks for opportunities. So when you find yourself vulnerable, if you find yourself down, if you find yourself in this, these places that I'm talking about, I want you to ask yourself, when you're being tempted, 
And we all are tempted. When you're being tempted, you find yourself tempted to sin. Ask, number one, these questions that David kind of failed. Number one is, what am I doing? A lot of times we rush into something and we fall into temptation because we don't slow down and ask a few questions. Number one, what am I doing? And that is kind of followed up with, I'm supposed to be doing something else. Because a lot of times the thing that you are doing because you're doing the wrong thing is because you got distracted from doing the right thing, right? How come you're not mowing the yard? Well, I'm I'm taking a nap. So always ask yourself, what am I doing and what am I supposed to be doing? The second thing is, ask yourself, where am I? David was not where he was supposed to be. Where am I? Where are you supposed to be? If you find yourself at the wrong place at the wrong time, you're usually, that was because you were on your way to the right place, but you got distracted. I can't tell you how many stories from my kids where they got into trouble began with, well, I was on my way home when? You know what I'm saying? Well, I was, I was on my way from work, or I was on my way to do what I was supposed to do, but I got distracted with the wrong thing. And lastly, ask yourself this, and this is the most important, who am I? If David would have slowed down and said, wait a minute, this is not me. This is not who I am. And this goes on and on until David is finally confronted. This is, I'm, as you read this story, you're thinking, this is not David. We have to ask ourselves, who am I? I have a calling. This is not me. Because if you forget who you are, what you won't do or what you will do won't matter. Let me say it like this. It, it doesn't matter because I don't matter. That's what we begin to think. If you forget who you are, what you do won't matter. That's the way you begin to think. Well, 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 it doesn't matter what I do because really, you know, I really don't matter. That's what happens when you forget who you are. Jesus knew exactly who he was and he knew his mission when he said this in Matthew 4 and 4. He said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Jesus knew and remembered who he was. I'm the son of God and I have a mission. And as he remembered his mission, he remembered his father. Jesus might have been hungry, tired, lonely, but he never forgot who he was, and he never forgot who his father. You know, the best way to remember who you are is to remember your father. And the devil wants you to forget that you have a father. I'm going to close with this. If you're not careful, you'll forget that you have a heavenly father that cares for you. I got kids all over the place. I got, I got one kid in Europe. I got a son in Norman. And I call them every single day. Every day I call them. Sometimes I'll shoot them a text, but I try to call them every single day. I contact them. One way or another, we stay connected. Your kids grow up. They make their own decisions. They become adults. But, it, but what I do is I call them. First of all, I remind them and I ask them and I tell them I love them. But you know what that does? That reminds them that they have a father down in Shawnee, Pottawatomie County that's checking on them, checking their Instagram, checking their Facebook, talking to their friends, praying for them every single day. And it reminds them. It reminds them that they have a home. It reminds them that they have a father. It reminds them that what they do matters. It reminds me of the story in Luke, the 15th chapter. 
It's the story of the son that was lost. We call it the story of the prodigal son. The Bible says that he leaves home. And he does all these things and he lives a lifestyle of sin until he loses everything that he has, his entire inheritance. Until he finds himself in a famine, in a hog's pen. And he's hanging out with the pigs. And he, I don't, I don't, you know, he hired himself out to these people. And he, he's so hungry that he reaches down and he gets the food that's been offered to the pigs. And in this moment, the Bible says he comes to his senses. But I like the translation that says, he came to himself. In other words... This man had gotten so wrapped up in sin and done so many things that he forgot who he was. And that's exactly what the enemy wants you to do is to forget who you are. And he looks at all this stuff and he says, what am I doing? You know who he thinks of? He thinks of his father. I have a father who loves me. I have a name. I have a family. I have people that love me. Why am I doing this? This is not me. And that's exactly what sin does. And that's why the enemy, he wants to tempt you, but he's not going to show you. He's not going to show you a pig's pen where you're looking and, 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 and delving in slop where you've forgotten who you are and you're eating the slop of life. He's not going to show you that. He's just going to start with a temptation to show you that, hey, if you've had enough of that, if you're sick and you're tired, if you'll just come in this direction and just take a step in this direction, just follow after this desire. You've worked hard. You deserve this. Nobody deserves this more than you. Just, just, just walk this path. And time after time, step by step, you get to a place where you forget who you are. Let me tell you something. Today, if you've forgotten who you are, let me say this, you have a father, and you have a home, and you have a family who love you. You don't have to go through this alone, and don't ever think for one second that you've gone so far that he won't welcome you back and bring you home. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for bringing us here today, and I thank you for speaking to people, and wherever we are, and whatever we're dealing with, whatever we're suffering, I pray, God, that you will speak to people and that you will bring people home. And people will surrender their lives to you and people will be strengthened in the name of Jesus. As your heads are bowed and, and as you're praying, maybe you've given your life to Christ. I want to talk to you. If you're, if you're a believer, you live for God. You can say, Travis, I live for God. He's Lord and Savior of my life, but I'm getting wrapped up in something there's sin that's knocking on my door. And maybe this is something that once upon a time, it was something that affected you, and that, that it was appalling. You could not believe it. And, but now it's becoming routine and a part of your life. And if you're not careful, you'll lose sight of who you are. Maybe the enemy has got you in a place like that. It doesn't, matter. It doesn't mean that you don't belong to God. It's just that the enemy will destroy your life with sin. And if that's you, I want to pray with you right now. Heavenly Father, I pray for every person that's here. May we not be led astray by the attacks of the devil. May we not be 
May we not succumb to his, his devices, but Lord, may we, may we be wise to his devices. I pray, Lord, that you will strengthen every believer that is here. Let us let go of the things that we need to let go of. Let us let go of the sin that so easily ensnares us. Maybe we need to let go of people that are drawing us into sin. Whatever that looks like, God, I pray that we let go of those things in the name of Jesus. As your heads are bowed, listen, that's, if, that, if that's here today, and I feel like there are people going through this today. If that's you, just praying this prayer is not enough. You need to take another step, as I said before, to receive forgiveness. You confess to God. To receive healing, you confess to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Are there people around you in your connect group? Are there people around that are very close to you? you? You don't need to go through this alone. You confess. You take steps for healing that the enemy can't destroy you. As your heads are bowed, I want to pray one more prayer. If you're here and you don't know Christ, he's not Lord and Savior of your life. Maybe you walked away from him at some point in your life and, and he's not a part of your life. And you want to return, or maybe you have never given your life to Christ. Whatever the case may be, I'd like to lead you in a prayer. And I won't ask you to stand, come down here. I won't embarrass you. I just want to pray this prayer. And if that's you, you can say, Travis, I'm going to pray that prayer with you. I'm going to give my life to Christ. Real quickly, just put your hand up and put it down so I know I'm praying for people. Can anybody say that? I'll just ask. I'll see your hand back there. You can put it down. I see your hand. You can put it down. Anybody else? I just want to know if I'm praying for people. I'll see your hand too. You can put it down. Anybody else? See your hand right there. You can put it down. See your hand right there. You can put it down. Anybody else? All right, we're going to pray. And as we pray, repeat this with us. Pray this. Mean it with all your heart. Give your life to Christ. Come home today. Let's all pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm before you today. And I give you my life. Jesus, I confess that I am a sinner. And I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. To wash me clean and whole. And today I make you Lord and Savior of my life. I believe in you, Jesus. That you died for me and rose from the dead. And from this moment on, my life is committed to you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Come on, guys, let's celebrate.